0: Welcome. We're going to continue this morning in our series in Hebrews and so we're in chapter 11 and this morning we'll look at Moses and his parents and the children of Israel under his leadership and the things that they did by faith. Um, But before we start let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Lord thank you for this day. Thank you for Palm Sunday and for the reminders that we have in this season that you have come to save. And thank you that you are our Savior. I just pray that as we go through this week that we would remember what you've done on our behalf. And as we think of that day when you came into Jerusalem and then you were praised by such a great multitude who later was calling out for your death. Just pray that we would not be swayed by the popular opinion, by the crowd, but that we would walk by faith, that we would not uh, walk by fear, and that we would pursue the prize that you have waiting for us. And so I just pray that as we open your word, that your spirit would work, that you would move in what's said, you would move in what's heard, and that our lives would be affected by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so just by way of review, I'm going to go back to the end of chapter 10 and uh, the beginning of chapter 11 and, and just look at these verses here to remind us what this section is about. It's about faith. And it says in verse 39 of the previous chapter, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So this is the definition of faith. It's the things that are hoped for, so their future, things not seen, so things pertaining to God, things pertaining to the spiritual realm, things that we don't see with our eyes in the here and the now, in the visible. And so this morning we're going to look at the examples of Moses' parents and of Moses and of the children of Israel under his leadership and see how uh, faith fears no foe and pursues the unseen prize. So this is, this is the theme, I think, of, the, of these passages and of this action by Moses and by his parents. So let's just go to verses 23 through 29, and I'll read those to us. And there's five examples of faith And things that were done by faith in this passage that we'll read. So, verse 23 says By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So what we'll see as we go through these five different events in the life of Moses, is people taking action by faith. And sometimes they had cause to fear, sometimes they did fear, but yet they did what they did by faith, and they overcame it, their fear, by faith, And it was done by people who were looking for something future, for something better than what they were currently seeing, better than the choices that were around them as they looked at the physical realm here. So in all of these stories too, and I'm gonna kind of run through these stories from a historical perspective or just story perspective, some of the details that are important to this passage, but not necessarily recorded in this passage. But the foe, is a seen foe. The foe or the enemy in this passage is primarily the land of Egypt. So I thought it might be helpful to just look at a few different things about Egypt so that we get a picture of what kind of enemy Moses' parents, Moses, the children of Israel were up against. So there's a few few passages that I pulled out of the prophets where God is speaking specifically about Egypt. And so in Ezekiel 29, he talks about their pride. You know, if you, looked, if you were to look at a Google map image of Africa, you see kind of in the south and central part, there's this nice green band. And then it goes to brown desert. And then there's this little kind of triangle of Egypt of lush green land. And that's because the Nile River comes out to the sea there and spreads out into smaller rivers as it goes out, and it waters this land. Well, Egypt took credit for that. They said, the Nile is my own. I made it for myself. So they were a very proud people and lifted up against God, in fact, claiming credit over his creation. In Isaiah, Isaiah talks about the fact that they had many idols, and God was going to judge them and allow divisions in the people to bring about civil war in that nation. Egypt was ripe for civil war. And it talks about the fact that they relied on their own counsel. And there's another passage that I didn't put up here where he talks about how God's people relied on Israel. And every time they relied on them, they were like a a fragile reed that just collapsed under their weight. If you think of like trying to use a walking stick or something that would just collapse every time you leaned on it, it would be useless to you. That was the role of Egypt in Israel's history. Then here we will read later on that Egypt was filled with the pleasures of sin and treasures. Historically, I looked up a a few things on the the great source of Wikipedia, so I'm sure this is all 100% accurate, uh, verified historical fact. But for nearly 3,000 years, Egypt was a preeminent civilization. Uh, They had beautiful art and architecture. A lot of wealth, as we'll see confirmed here in Hebrews 11. They had a slave-driven economy in this time, at least that we're going to read about. They had made Israel slaves, and they prospered economically on the backs of slaves. They were known for great military conquest, and also, as we mentioned before, the idols and the pride. The pharaohs, or the kings of Egypt, were considered deity or near-deity, God-like people, and they were worshipped. So, as I considered Egypt and, and what that might correspond to today, there's a lot of things that we see today that do correspond to that. And then it also made me think of what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 2. He said, all that is in the world, and then he lists these three different things that characterize the world. He says, the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all that's in the world. That's what motivates and drives the world system, according to John. And it's all not from the Father, but from the world. So, Egypt, I think, is a good picture of the world in general and the culture in general. And it applies to the, the world that we live in, too. You could look at all of these things. Many of these things have been true even of the nation that that we live in now and continue to be true. The pride, the lifting up against God, the great wealth, benefiting from slave trade around the world, even in our own country at times of history, you know, being a preeminent civilization, not for 3,000 years but for 100 years or so. All of these things we can face today. So as we read the story and these events and illustrations examples of faith we can think about how they would apply to us in the world that we live in much like the world that moses lived in so i also want to take a step back here and just talk about the story of moses and just pull some things from exodus and also from Acts 7 that we learn about moses life so last week we talked about the patriarchs abraham isaac and Jacob well Jacob had 12 sons one of them his brother sold into slavery he ended up in Egypt through a series of events there was a famine Jacob and his family ended up going to Egypt to get food because of Joseph the one son that had gone there and Joseph had been given wisdom by God to allow Egypt to avoid the famine he stored up food for those seven years of famine and so The rest of his family came back and was reunited with him there in Egypt, and Joseph was a great man in the nation of Egypt. Well, over time, the rulers in Egypt forgot about Joseph, and consequently, they had this big people group that was growing in their nation of the Israelites, and they began to be afraid of them. They thought they would take over the nation, they would help their enemies, and they would escape and no longer be productive part of their economy. So they made their burdens greater, their slavery more intense. In addition to that, Pharaoh, in an effort to diminish this people group of Israel, he made an edict. He said, all of the sons have to be killed. And they need to be cast into the river and drown. So at this point then is when Moses is born. So when Moses was born, his parents decided, as we're going to see, not to kill him. So they rescued him. And then through that process, he was put into the river in a basket that was sealed up from the water. And Pharaoh's daughter came along. And she saw Moses there, and she adopted him. She wanted him to be her own son. Well, Moses' parents, Moses' sister, was there watching, and she said, Hey, do you need a nurse for him? And she agreed to have him taken away and nursed by his own mother. And so there's different opinions whether Moses was in his house for three years or 12 years or sometime in between. But regardless, he got to spend some more time with his family. And then Pharaoh's daughter came back and reclaimed him. And so when he was 40, Moses went out. And he knew that he was an Israelite by birth. And he went out and he saw one of the Egyptian slave masters mistreating a Jew. And Moses identified with him and he attacked the slave master and he ended up killing him. Um, He didn't realize until the next day that people had seen him. So he left Egypt to get away from the consequence of that. Um, He had fear, but we'll see later he also had faith. He went into the desert, and he was there for 40 years as a shepherd in the family of Midian. Uh, Then, at age 80, he saw the, the burning bush that you've probably all heard about that was on fire, but it wasn't getting burned up, and he went to see what it was, and God spoke to him out of it and said, go back to Egypt, go back and deliver your people the Israelites. So Moses went back. And through a series of God's judgment on Egypt, Pharaoh eventually said, Go, get out. So they left, went to go. They got up to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's armies started coming behind him, and they pinned them up against the Red Sea. And in fear, they cried out to the Lord. And the Lord said, Go into it. And he opened up the water. And they went through as on dry ground, and the Egyptians went to follow them. They went into the place that was dry ground, and God started making their wheels fall off their chariots, bogged them down, got them in the middle of the Red Sea, and then poured the water back on top of them and destroyed them. And that began the next 40-year period of Moses' life when he led the children of Israel through the wilderness right up to the promised land which he did not get to go into. So all of these stories that we're going to have today in Hebrews 11 happened in the first 80 years of Moses' life. And just kind of an interesting thing, there is one psalm that's written by Moses in Psalm 90. If you read that, there's this little phrase in there. Moses says, uh, a man's life is 70 years, or if he works really hard, maybe he'll live to be 80. (laughs) But you know, Moses' biggest job began when he was 80. And so Moses went through this experience through faith, with faith, with God at his side. So let's go ahead now and look at the first instance here of these five, which was related to Moses' parents. So in addition to what we have here Verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so then if you look back at Acts chapter 7, Stephen is recounting the story that I just recounted. And he says, At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. So I want to speak to parents briefly Parenting is a job for faith. And it starts with being like Moses' parents and looking at our children the way God looks at them. So we read in Hebrews that they saw that the child was beautiful. Well, God saw that he was a beautiful child too. And God had a specific plan and a design on Moses' life. But Moses' parents we're under the command of the king that you need to kill this child. And I I thought it was kind of interesting. It doesn't say that they said, well, we don't believe in infanticide. We don't believe in murder. No, they said this is a beautiful child. And I'm sure they didn't believe in infanticide and they didn't believe in murder. But the, the thing that they saw was this is a child that God says is beautiful. And so as parents, we need to have God's view of our children as well they're made in the image of God they're given unique talents and abilities that God has given them for the purpose of bringing glory to God we also learn in the Word of God that our children are arrows it says that the a man with many children is like a man with a quiver full of arrows And an arrow is not made to be hold, held onto and clutched and grasped throughout our life it's made to be launched. And so God wants us to view our children not for our own purposes, not for our, you know, our retirement account or for our lifelong friends or for um, making us proud by what they do. No, they're, they're given to us for us to shelter from the world until they're ready to be launched into the world and make... A difference for the kingdom of God and so this is how Moses parents viewed them and and viewed Moses and he hid them they hid him (laughs) and they took on that risk of being caught disobeying the king and it says um, they didn't fear the king's edict so we are to live too as parents in the fear of God not in the fear of what the world wants to tell us we can and can't teach our kids or can and can't do With our kids. We need to take our instructions from the Word of God as we seek to make our kids what God intended them to be. And then there came this point in Moses' life where he went back to Pharaoh's daughter. You know, that's a scary thing. When your kids, you know, whether it's sending them to public school or sending them to college, seeing them move out, whatever stage in life and whatever you know gradual degree that may happen, that's a scary thing as a parent. I can say that. Um, it scares me. And I feel a loss too. You know, because I want to have these these kids for my lifelong friends. But that's not what God made them to be. And so Moses parents let him go. And he went back to of all things, Pharaoh's daughter. To be trained in the ways of Egypt. What a scary thought that must have been for them. You know, what's he going to choose when he's old enough? Well, we won't wait. We'll move on to talk about Moses. I wanted to repeat this too. Faith fears no foe and it pursues the unseen prize. So Moses' parents, they weren't afraid of what Pharaoh said. They did what God instructed. They saw Moses as God saw Moses. And they didn't fear the foe of Pharaoh. But they pursued the unseen prize of what God had created Moses to be. And so they released him at the right time. But by faith, Moses, it says, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather the people of God. So Moses, the second instance of something done by faith is Moses saying, I'm not Pharaoh's daughter's son anymore. I'm an Israelite. I know they're slaves. I know they're mistreated. But I'm one of them. And so Moses looked at all this wealth, power, and position he could have, and he chose so he made a choice, a faith-based choice, based on his faith-based identity. And so for us, we need to get our identity from the Word of God. Who are we? We're children of God. We're made in the image of God. If we have, our, have put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we're saints, we're holy ones. And so how we identify ourselves, just as Moses identified himself, leads to some faith based choices I didn't realize I was putting these tongue twisters in here but they become tongue twisters in the meantime (laughs) and so Egypt had all of these offerings Egypt was offering Moses you can be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter you can have the pleasures of sin you can have the treasures of Egypt well does that sound familiar those are the things that John talked about everything that's in the world it's the pride of life It's the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. But you know, between Moses and breaking through to the prize that he couldn't see, there was a foe. So to choose to be called an Israelite meant mistreatment by the Egyptians. To choose to walk away from the pleasures of sin meant mistreatment by the Egyptians. And to choose To walk away from the treasures of Egypt meant to suffer the reproach. And it says the reproach of Christ. So Moses had this view. Christ, Jesus, was not born for hundreds of years after that. But Moses knew there was a Messiah coming. And Christ, my understanding is Christ is the translation of the Greek and New Testament word that is Messiah in the Old Testament. And Moses knew that God was sending Messiah one day to rescue Israel. And he chose, he didn't know when that Messiah was coming, probably didn't realize fully that he was going to be a metaphor or a type or an example of the Messiah that was coming to deliver God's people. But he chose that unseen prize to be identified with God's people, to have freedom from sin. Not the pleasures of sin, but freedom from sin. And to be identified with the coming Christ. It says that Moses made this decision when he was grown up. So I want to encourage us too as parents, and for those of you that are, are younger, there comes a point when you have to make a decision based on your own faith. And as parents, we have to understand that too. Our children have to make a decision at some point about their own faith about their own identity, whether it's going to be in Christ or is it going to be an identity anchored in the pride of life and the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. So each individual needs to make that decision. And what a sad thing when somebody does grow up and makes the decision not to be identified with Christ. Not to be identified with the people of God. Not to accept that identity that is brought to you when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this was something that Moses' parents had to trust the Lord for. The next example then, where it says, by faith, comes in verse 27. It says, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now I think there there could potentially be two different times in Moses' life that this could apply to. There was the time when he had killed the Egyptian slave master and fled to Egypt. There was also the time when he let, or fled to Midian. There was also the time when he led the people of Israel out into the wilderness. But because these events seem to be in chronological order, I think this refers to the time when Moses fled Egypt after he had killed the Egyptian slave master. And I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, it says he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. You know, it says right in Exodus that Moses, when he realized that somebody had witnessed his murder, that he was afraid and he fled. But, you know, God in looking at this, says, by faith, he left Egypt. So, faith is not the absence of fear, but faith is what can overcome fear. Faith is what allowed Moses to make this decision to leave Egypt. And then it says he endured. So, when you endure, it means you've started something and it's continuing and you need effort to continue it, okay? So Moses had made this decision. I'm going to be identified with Israel. I'm not going to be identified with Pharaoh's daughter. And so he left Egypt, no strings attached, identified with the suffering people. And he didn't do that solely motivated by fear. He did it by faith because he saw, it said, as seeing him who is invisible. So he was pursuing God even out into the desert to flee from the land of Egypt. And there, I don't know if that's perhaps where he wrote Psalm 90. I don't know. But evidently, when Moses was out in the desert, he was not just away from the Lord. He was pursuing and seeing him who was invisible. And he was acting under the authority of Jehovah rather than the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so he endured the path he started out on, He needed to continue. And he did it as seeing the invisible. And as we saw at the beginning of the chapter, faith is the conviction of things not seen. So in this case, I was thinking about the fact, you know, faith, it fears no foe, and it pursues the unseen prize. And there was a day that we read about in the Gospels where Moses was there, It's referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus took three of his disciples up, they fell asleep, they woke up, and Jesus is there on the mountain, and he's talking with Moses and Elijah on the mountain about the salvation and the work that he was about to accomplish on the cross. And what a privilege for Moses to be there seeing and talking to Jesus on the mountain about what Jesus was about to do to rescue his people. We don't know what they said, but that was a great prize, and Moses was able to enter into that hundreds and hundreds of years later because of the choice that he made to live his life, enduring in that identification with Christ, in that identification with God's people. Faith fears no foe and pursues the unseen prize Now, I'm going to skip over verse 28 because I want to finish with that, but we'll go to verse 29 and read about Israel. So, after Moses has had his confrontation with Pharaoh over the fate of Israel, saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh saying no, it came to a point where Pharaoh finally said go. And so, the children of Israel went out, they went, says, by faith The people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Well, as they left Egypt, Pharaoh decided, I don't want to let him go after all. And he pursued them with his armies. And they got up to the Red Sea and they were trapped. There was no way out. They were angry at Moses. They said, why would you bring us out here to kill us? You could have just had us killed back in Egypt. There's enough graves there. You know, they they didn't seem to be acting in faith, did they? But God said, stop crying out to me and go into the water. And Moses raised his rod, and the walls of water opened up overnight. The ground was dry. And in the morning, they were able to walk out in the water, and they had walls of water on both sides, and they were on dry ground. Well, they did that by faith. Can you imagine that? I don't, I don't know how deep the Red Sea was there, but to have walls of water deep enough to drown an Egyptian army and walk through that, they had to have faith in God. And it says, by faith, they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, they went in after them. But they didn't do it by faith, and they ended up drowning. You know, what I was thinking about that. And wondering what might that look like for us today? What, what things might we do by faith that if we tried to do not by faith, we would drown for, for you know, metaphorically drown? And it, any number of things, you know, we, we think of things, actions of faith sometimes as big things. Maybe going out as a missionary, maybe, you know, going through, like our sister Jody went through, has been going through treatment for cancer. We think of any number of big life decisions. But, you know, we can we do things, we should do things by faith every day. And I was just thinking, so I don't think there's a Joseph here, but what if you were coming in this morning and you see Joseph's car there and you think, you know, I heard he had a test last week, a medical test, and I just want to tell him I'm praying for him because I want him to feel the love of God through me And I want him to be encouraged. Well, immediately, at least for for me, I might think, well, Joseph might not know that I know. You know, he might think, that's kind of over the top, that's kind of weird, we're not that close, I didn't tell you this. And we start to have fears, right? But we might decide, by faith, I'm going to go ahead and try to encourage him. And so you go up to him and you say, Joseph, I've been praying about the results of your test been praying that the Lord would comfort you and that the results would be good. Well, he may turn around and say, how did you find out? You know, he may say, well, no big deal. You know, all those things that we were afraid of may come to pass. Well, if we did that act by faith, we can trust God because the prize is unseen. You know, we can, we can fear no foe. We can fear no criticism. We can fear that we don't have to fear that things won't turn out the way we hoped they would because we are pursuing an unseen prize. And if somebody, if I did that same thing, not by faith, but because, oh, I want Joseph to think I'm a a really nice, caring person and that I'm really sensitive, and then he responds that way, I'll be crushed, won't I? And so that might happen too with with, um, maybe you have somebody on your heart that you want to share the gospel with. And so by faith, you overcome your fears. Well, we we would hope the outcome of that is their salvation. But maybe the outcome of it is they ridicule you. Maybe they don't understand what you're saying. Maybe they say, "Oh, you're just one of those judgmental people. You don't think I'm good enough and you think you are." Well, we can overcome things like that when we do them by faith because we are pursuing the unseen prize. We're pursuing our relationship with Christ. We're pursuing the approval of Christ in the way that we respond to his grace. And so we can take faith-based risk because faith fears no foe and pursues the unseen prize. So now I want to go back to the the verse that we skipped, verse 28, here and we see a faith-based salvation. And you know, this Thursday, is Passover and I was just thinking about this this morning for the last couple days actually how the, you know the Jewish holidays they start in the evening and they go to the next evening and the Passover started in the evening and it went to the next evening and I, because of that schedule it allowed Jesus to keep the Passover with his disciples on the same day that he was our passover lamb so we didn't talk about the passover so i want to take a step back now and and talk about what this was uh, that moses kept the passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer the firstborn might not touch him so as all these judgments of god came on egypt and moses kept saying let my people go and pharaoh kept saying no It crescendoed in this, where God was going to come in and kill. The destroying angel was going to come into every household and kill the oldest son. But God made a provision. He said, you can take a lamb and you can kill the lamb instead of your son. And if you take the blood from the lamb and you put it up on your doorpost, when the angel comes to kill the firstborn and he sees the blood, on the doorpost, he'll pass over that house. That firstborn son will be safe. What a picture of Jesus. It was a forecasting of what Jesus was going to do. Because it's not just the firstborn son in each family that deserves God's judgment. It's every one of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus was the fulfillment of that Passover lamb. And so on Passover, Jesus was lifted up, his blood was shed, and by faith, we can do exactly what Moses did. We can, by faith, sprinkle the blood of Jesus on our own selves, so that when it comes time for God's judgment against sin, we're safe. So Moses did this. He had a faith based salvation he believed the promise of god and he put his trust in the blood of this lamb and so i hope this morning that each one of you has put your trust in the blood of jesus as your salvation for sin we're going to take communion here in a minute or two and the bread reminds us of jesus body broken for us the the cup reminds us of his blood that was shed for us And so as Jesus took that Passover feast with his disciples, he also explained to them that this Passover is about to be fulfilled tomorrow. My body, my blood are going to become your shelter for sin. And so as he came to the end of the Passover feast, he did what we're going to do here. And he asked us to do the same thing, to take the bread and remember his body given for us to take the juice and remember his blood spilled for us. And so after we um, give thanks and and begin to sing, if you want to come up to either of the tables or the one in the back, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're welcome to join with us in this remembrance, just as Moses, year after year, kept that remembrance of this Passover lamb that saved the lives of his firstborn. So this morning, I trust you put your trust in Jesus. I trust that you have that faith that fears no foe and pursues the unseen prize. Let's give thanks. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body given for us. Thank you that you are our Passover lamb. And as we go into this week and we remember your death for us, as we take this bread, may our hearts be touched. May we remember in truth what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what we have in you. I pray that we would walk in a faith-based life, that our choices would be informed and guided by your faith, that we would fear no foe, that we would pursue the unseen prize. I pray in Jesus' name.